What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Be it superstition or just an apparition, you suddenly appear inside my heart. Does this strange romance stand Welcome to From the Bleachers. I am back. It's your host, as always, Seamus Clancy, coming to you from the wonderful Bleeding Green Nation Radio Podcast Network. As if you couldn't tell, I'm my third cup of coffee of the day. I'm sleep deprived. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk Eagles football. Couple uh, housekeeping notes. Go check out my last two podcasts. I did two great interviews, one with Mike from the Toronto area punk band Pew Pew Pew. It is also Canada Day that I'm recording this on July 1st, Wednesday. Uh, give that a listen. If you like that kind of punk music, pop punk, all those type of things, if you if you follow me on Twitter, you see the type of music I tweet about. It'd be right up your alley. Uh, loves drinking, loves partying, that type of classic rock and roll. Uh, huge Eagles fan from Toronto. We talk about sports, music, and how someone that's not even just not even from Philadelphia, not even from the United States, can become a huge Eagles fan and bleed green just as much as the rest of us. And my previous interview that I definitely recommend checking out as well is with Matthew Quick, the author of the original Silver Linings Playbook novel, one of my favorite books of all time. The movie was okay, uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, directed by David O. Russell. Uh, I'm actually going to do a, a movie review of that in a couple weeks. I'm going to do a movie review of Incible, kind of a twist on an Eagles film review, not just breaking down X's and O's, but breaking down actual movie films. Uh, maybe some other stuff mixed in there. We shall see. Maybe the uh, do review of the Always Sunny Super Bowl uh, doubleheader episodes. Could do that. But the reason I'm talking to you guys and girls, or however you may identify, we are pro-LGBTQ here on the From the Bleachers podcast. I am talking to you about Rivalry Week. It's Rivalry Week on our one, the wonderful, our overlords, the SB Nation Network, the blogging network. Go read us if you're not. If you listen to this podcast, but you don't read bleedinggreennation.com, what are you doing? Go on there right now. Have some great work on there, as always. And I'm going to be talking to you about Eagles versus Washington, Eagles versus the Giants, and Eagles versus Cowboys today. Uh, I've been using uh, ProFootballReference.com for the last hour or so, digging up some facts, some tidbits, looking at the all-time record between the Eagles and their three NFC East rivals. Uh, I do want to make mention that they were previously in the NFC East with the Arizona slash St. Louis slash Phoenix Cardinals, but since they are in the NFC West now, we really don't talk about them much as a threat to the birds. They are a different type of birds that we dislike, not the Eagles. They say go birds, they're full of it. But we're not be talking about them, talking about their three primary NFC East rivals. And I want to lead off with the Daniel Snyder owns Washington R words. I will be not be saying that word on this podcast. I will be referring to him as Washington going forward. The Philadelphia Inquirer just said they will only refer to the team as Washington. Uh, when I was working back at the Philadelphia Daily News uh, partnership with Philadelphia Inquirer, obviously, uh, whenever I'd write about the Eagles, I was I was covering the team pretty intently during the 2014 season. I was going to pra- I was a junior in college interning, but since newspapers are so understaffed now, I was kind of just 
literally a full-time staff writer while, you know, going to class and trying to live a normal 20, 19-year-old, whatever, college life. And I would never use that word. I would always call them Washington, and the paper was cool with it. Especially with everything going on in the ro- world right now, civil unrest, social justice, there's just no place for that. But even though ter- Daniel Snyder is terrible for allowing that to be the team name and for a plethora of other reasons, as an Eagles fan, uh, in a vacuum, I want him to be the Washington owner for as long as possible. Because he's proven time and time again to be just a terrible, terrible owner who meddles too much with his franchise and leads the leaves the team one of the la- not just a laughing stock in the National Football League, but one of the biggest laughing stocks in all of North America professional sports. So I got my little Iron Man notebook, pulling out my stats right now. We have Eagles and Washington, and I want to preface all of this before I talk about each individual squad is that historically. The Eagles are pretty terrible. You know, I think I'm 26 years old. A lot of people that have come of age in the 80s and 90s and 2000s are a little bit spoiled in that the team has been relatively good their whole lives. Anyone who's grew up in the Buddy era uh, and then the Andy Reid era like I did and even younger people right now who are growing up in the Doug Peterson era have been treated with, you know, the greatest couple decade run in franchise history by far. It's not even close, especially since... Andy Reid took over in 99, so really 21st century, the Eagles have owned the NFC East. And I think we take it for granted that historically, the Eagles were pretty terrible for decades and decades. And there was, you know, there was a couple of championship blips in 48, was it 48 and 49, 48 and 47, 1980, where they made, uh, you know, the Super Bowl run. But before that, they had 1960 as well. That was a big year, uh, winning the champion, NFL championship at Franklin Field, uh, Penn's campus, my alma mater, I'm wearing a Penn shirt right now. I've got my Air Jordan USA 5s on. I'm rocking and going with red, white, and blue right now. But the Eagles are terrible historically, so some of their all-time records aren't great as we will get into. But when we break it down further, we will see that as of late, as in our lifetimes, the Eagles have been the premier team in the NFC East. So leading off with Washington. All-time, the Eagles are 80, 85, and 6 against Washington. Not great. In their first 114 games against Washington, they only won 43 games. So in that first 114 games, and that runs from the two franchises' inception until the end of the Buddy Ryan era in 1990, 1990, including Buddy's last game, which was a playoff loss in January 91, again, against Washington. In that time period... The Eagles were 43, 65, and 6 against Washington. Washington had three Pro Bowl. I think they had three Super Bowls in that span, or they won in, they won in 91 or 90. So, you know, before the Eagles won one, before the mid-90s, Washington had won three Super Bowls. So not great. But since the end of the Buddy era, since 1991, the Eagles are 37 and 20 against Washington. And since the Andy Reid era, specifically, they are 24 and 16. And in the Doug Peterson era, the Birds have just completely and utterly owned Washington, up on them 6-2 to two in the four years that Doug Peterson has been a coach, has Carson Wentz has been quarterback, Nick Foles has been quarterback, yada, yada, yada. Do remember that one game in the end of the 2018 season, Nick, uh, Nate Sudfeld came in through his first touchdown pass, I believe a 21 nothing win over Washington that coupled with a... Minnesota Vikings loss uh, against the Bears led the Eagles to making the playoffs and then coincidentally beat the Bears and the wildcard round before losing in New Orleans the following week. 
And we've had a ton of memorable moments against Washington. First thing I think of is the Monday Night Football Massacre. Deshaun Jackson's 92-yard touchdown catch uh, from Michael Vick on the first play of the game. Monday Night Football, the Eagles just completely routed Washington. Vick had, I think, five or six total touchdowns. Uh, it was really just – it was Michael Vick's birthday this week. Or uh, not this week, but last week was Mike Vick's birthday. Uh, last Friday. So that was what? That was June 26th was Vick's birthday. And what a captivating athlete he was. I wished Andy could have gotten him younger when he was younger and in his athletic prime and really tutored him in the, the game of football in a way that uh, Vic wasn't quite acclimated, just super athletically talented and even still had a great football mind. But Reed's one of the greatest football minds of all time. And pairing him as through his entire career, I'm sure would have led him to be a Hall of Famer. And if he was with Philadelphia the whole time, I bet they would have won at least a Super Bowl or two. We also have the first Chip Kelly game when they went all tempo. Michael Vick again, lighting it up on Monday Night Football. Once again, Chip's first game in 2013. It was magnificent. I had a couple friends from South Philly come up to my uh, college apartment, college house. We hung out, drank some beers, watched that game. And it was just, you know, I thought that was one of those things where it was the first Eagles game for the rest of my life. I thought we were going to take the NFL by storm. And we sort of did for part of the 2013 season. But as we know, unfortunately, the Chip era uh, fizzled out quite quickly. And my last most notable game uh, that I think of when discussing Eagles versus Washington is Monday Night Football in 2017. Carson Wentz put on an MVP-type showcase. He had that crazy scramble. Dr. Defender ran for a first down. Uh, he had that unbelievable, maybe Carson Wentz has, has some unbelievable throws in his career. Just throws that so few quarterbacks, not even just playing now, in the NFL, but NFL history can make. I guess right now it'd be, you know, Pat Mahomes or historically Aaron Rodgers in his prime, maybe Michael Vick, McNabb. There are a few guys who possess the arm talent, the accuracy with the ability to maneuver in the pocket the way Wentz does. And he was getting hit and he threw that ball to Corey Clement uh, in the corner of the end zone. And it was a fantastic catch by Clement. Not, not, not his last fantastic catch of that 2017 season, as I'm sure you're aware. But just a phenomenal play. And again, Eagles have owned Washington since Doug has been here. And I, I suspect I expect that to continue for the rest of the Wentz-Peterson uh, Wentz era. Uh, Dwayne Haskins at quarterback does not instill any confidence whatsoever in me. Again, I hope he's their quarterback for as long as possible. I don't want Washington to lose all of their games in 2020. I would like them to go like... 6-10, and 5-11, and 11, have a couple upset wins, not against the Eagles, obviously, maybe against Dallas, New York, just so they are out of the Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence territory come the 2021 draft. This brings me to our second discussion against an NFC East rival, the New York Giants. Actually, the Eagles have an, a winning record against New York all time, 86-84-2. Just getting out, just having that winning record, not by a lot. They do have that winning record, and I can hold it all over the head of my Giants friends from college and can make fun of them about it, that the Eagles have historically been a terrible team, and just because of the success they've had in the last two decades, have completely overtaken the Giants and the all-time leaderboard. In the last 24 games, the Eagles are 20-4 and against the New York Giants. They haven't beaten the Eagles in back-to-back games since the George Bush administration, and there have been countless Countless, more more than any team in the league, the Eagles have memorable moments against the New York Giants. I'm talking about Chuck Badnarik's crushing, devastating hit on Frank Gifford. 
I'm talking about Herman Edwards and the first Miracle at the Meadowlands. I'm talking about Brian Westbrook's punt return and the second Miracle at the Meadowlands. I'm talking about Deshaun Jackson's punt return at the Miracle at the New Meadowlands. I'm talking about Jake Elliott's season-altering, life-altering, franchise-altering 61-yard field goal in Week 3, 2017 that sent the Eagles on a path to a nine-game win streak and a Super Bowl title. I'm talking about Randall Cunningham ducking Carl Banks and throwing a strike in the end zone on Monday Night Football during the Buddy era and putting him on the map of a true superstar, one of the most remarkable players in the league, marketable and remarkable at the same time. And the first 84 games from the two franchises' inception, historically the, the Giants uh, under Y.A. Tittle in the, the early era of the NFL did quite well, won a couple of championships. Obviously, the famous game is the 1958 championship game, you know, the first you know, greatest game ever played, which I'm sure is BS, but it was the first time the NFL was really, you know, did some numbers on television. Uh, you know, first time the game was really broadcast widely on television and a ton of people watched it. And obviously the sport hasn't been the same since. So historically, the Giants are good. So up until through 1975, which I picked that year because Dick Vermeil took over with the Eagles in 76. So through there, the first 84 games of Eagles-Giants rivalry, the Eagles were 32-50-2. Not great. But since then, they've taken command in 54-34 to 34 lead. There was one bad stretch in there. From 1997, so the end of the Ray Rhodes era, the Eagles made the playoffs in 1996, uh, didn't make it again until 2000. So we're in that range right there. From 1997 to 2000, the Eagles lost nine games in a row to the Giants. That was a good era of Giants football. Uh, the Giants made the Super Bowl in 2000. Uh, and lost uh, to the Ravens in the championship. They blew out the Vikings in the NFC Championship game at home at the old Meadowlands. Uh, coincidentally, the Giants beat the Eagles not once, not twice, but three times in that season. Uh, they beat the Eagles in the divisional round after the Eagles in the first playoff game of the Reed and Donovan McNabb era. After they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they went to the old Meadowlands, lost to New York. New York went on to the Super Bowl. And thankfully lost to Baltimore Ravens. That was when Ray Lewis won Super Bowl MVP, Trent Dilfer's quarterback. But 2001, the switch flipped. The Eagles swept the Giants for the first time since 1996. And they won the division for the first time since 1988. Uh, and that is most memorable for in week, set, in week 16. The Eagles eked out a win against New York. They almost, almost lost. In the last play of the game, the Giants ran this crazy flea flicker from Tiki Barber to Ron Dixon. When's the last time you heard the name Ron Dixon? And Damon Moore, thankfully, the Eagles safety at the time, tackled Dixon at the one or two or three or something like that. The Eagles almost blew it in classic Eagles fashion, but they held on, won a division for the first time since 88, you know, over a decade. Giants didn't make the playoffs that year, and the Eagles finally got that Giants monkey off their back. And it was just so rewarding to see. That's the first Eagles team I have a real concrete memory of in my mind. So it's one of those things that will always stick with me. I'll always love that 2001 Eagles team. That's my first Eagles team. And that's the first game I really remember. So, you know, hating the Giants is at the essence and the core of my Eagles fandom just as much as it is the, the next team we'll discuss. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. But through the 2000s, the Eagles and Giants were the two primary NFC East teams. Uh, and, and into the early 2010s, given that 
Uh, New York won two Super Bowls in 2007 and 2011. Eli Manning had some unbelievable playoff performances, beat the Patriots in both years. But even then, the Eagles won a division a bunch of times and obviously, as we know, won the Super Bowl in 2017, a year in which they beat the, the Giants twice. Jake Elliott kick, fantastic season. I loved it. I still think we own the Giants. I'm not scared by Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I'm not scared of them in the slightest. And I think, again, like Washington, I want them to do okay this year and win five or six games, you know, and beat the Cowboys hopefully once. I have one of those upset wins just again because I don't want them to give up on Danny Dimes. What a nickname for what a crap player too quickly. And I do not want them to be in the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields running. Uh, you know, if they got the number one pick, they might just take a running back or an offensive guard or something because they have no idea how to build a franchise. And 20, what, 18, they selected a running back with a second overall pick in the draft. Uh, he's the best running back in the NFL and still the team is absolute garbage. So keep doing what you're doing, Dave Gettleman, because I love it. I hope you have a lifetime contract in New York. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prof G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prof G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You know who the last team is going to be. I saved the best for last. The thing that gives me life, the Joker to my Batman, the thing I cannot live without, the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry. Obviously, Dallas, an historically great franchise. All the Super Bowls, all the glory, the America's Team BS, all that crap, the cheerleaders, the national games, the Thanksgiving games, which is a completely unfair advantage, and we'll get to that to a different time, about having a Thursday game at home every single year. It's BS, it's crap. Again, that's a discussion for later in the season. Obviously, the Eagles' all-time record against Dallas, not particularly great. 52-66. and 66. From December 67 until 1978, they had a stretch where they were 2-21 and 21 against the Cowboys. And that's, you know, obviously Tom Landry, Roger Staubach, a couple of Super Bowl titles in that period. 
really down period for Eagles football. My dad was born in 69. So, you know, he used to say that him and his father, my grandfather, would discuss that, you know, they didn't have a Super Bowl Eagles. They were never making the Super Bowl. They were crap. So the one thing they hoped for every year was to beat Dallas. That was their Super Bowl. If they could just beat Dallas once or twice in a season, that was it for them. That made everything. Obviously, it didn't really happen given they had two wins out of 23 games. Uh, but then the tide started to turn. In 1980, the Eagles played the Cowboys three times in that season. They won two of them. And most notably, in the 1980 NFC Championship game, Run Wilbert Run, Run Wilbert Run, Wilbert Montgomery's iconic, iconic touchdown running at the Cowboys to send them to the Super Bowl, where they unfortunately lost to the, to the I guess they were the Oakland Raiders then. They weren't in LA yet. And, you know, that was the first time it really felt like, you know, the Eagles got one on the Cowboys. That was really it. That was all those Eagles fans of that generation had. Was that's why my dad, my dad is what? Oh, uh, he'll turn 51 years old this fall. That's, you know, that's his 38 to 7. That's his big thing. That was the first time in his life he felt like the Eagles were truly, truly better from the Cowboys. And all the, you know, the junk that he grew up with, with hating the team, hating the Cowboys, and just having all the bandwagon fans around in South Philly in the area, you know, throwing it in your face, all those losers. The Eagles were better than him on that day. And they can never take that away from the Eagles. They can never take that away from Wilbert Montgomery. They can never take that away from my father. And that's what I love about the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry. In the Buddy era, from 86 to 90, the Eagles had a great run against the Cowboys, going 9-1. and one. I'm going to go on a little tangent right now. For one of my favorite stories, not just in NFL history, but in all of sports, I'm talking about the 1987 NFL strike. And if you're a follower or subscriber to my newsletter, which if you're listening to this podcast, you like what I talk about, how are you not subscribing to my newsletter? Patreon.com backslash Seamus underscore Clancy. Just two bucks per month. Two dollars. Two dollars, not three, not five. Two dollars per month. I send you a newsletter every day, Monday through Friday. You know, six, seven, eight, nine hundred words talking about Philadelphia sports, doing a little pop culture talk with, you know, sports being on the down low right now due to the pandemic. But if you're an Eagles fan, you like my podcast, you like my Twitter, it's just two bucks from a month. Sign up. You'll love it. As soon as Eagles season comes around, as soon as the NBA, NHL, and MLB start up again this summer, you'll be thankful that you have it. But one thing I've talked about frequently in my newsletter is the 1987 NFL strike. And obviously, I support the players a thousand percent. Is that the players wanted, you know, the league became increasingly profitable and the players just wanted, you know, equal pay, have more coverage for health benefits. Obviously, the football is a devastating sport on players' bodies, on their minds, on their brains, as we've seen in the ensuing decades. And, you know, the players deserve that money. They're the ones going out in the field. They're the ones who are performing. No one's going to an Eagles game to watch Norman Brahman sit in the owner's box. They're going there to watch Reggie White and Randall Cunningham. That's who they're going to see. Mike Quick, not Norman Brahman or whoever owners there are out there. I'm going to read you a little bit from my newsletter. I've, just, I've talked about that in the newsletter a couple of times. So I'm going to go on this little tangent. I start with a quote from Dick Vermeil. People used to take the Eagles for granted. A lot of guys have heard me say, never let anyone take you for granted. I get the feeling the Dallas Cowboys are taking us for granted right now. We're here because we earn the right to be here. Dallas Cowboys are going to take us for granted. We'll whip their you-know-what. I hate the Cowboys. It's in my blood. 
You're a third-generation Cowboys hater, as my dad said to me. It's part of my DNA and all its irrationality. The Cowboys represent the antithesis of everything that makes the Eagles Philadelphia special. No story better personifies the dichotomy between the Cowboys, Eagles, and the respective fan bases than the tale of the 1987 NFL strike. There was a 24-day strike during week four through week six of that NFL season. Much like the Keanu Reeves movie that glorified scabs, NFL owners filled their roster with replacement players who crossed the picket line while the NFL Players Association demanded better injury care and salaries in an increasingly profitable sport. A union is only good as its members. If those union members remain a cohesive collective, they can be a unified front while fighting for what they believe in. No team across the NFL remain more unified during the strike than the Philadelphia Eagles. Philly, as I'm sure you are well aware, is a hardcore blue-collar town with a strong union presence. I'm union-made. My body is union-made. Dad, union worker, proud of it. Support union workers everywhere. Eagles exemplified that aspect of their city as just three Eagles players crossed the picket line, doing so solely for injury reasons with the blessing of their teammates. The birds formed a literal human chain, barricading the replacement players, who cheapskate owner Norman Brodman, who is a disgrace, got to fill out the Eagles roster. From practicing, the Eagles even listed the help of the Teamsters to enforce their strike. It was hardcore. I really can't see something like that ever happening today. That type of unity between players and the fan base, I just don't see with the dichotomy away. A lot of players, unfortunately, a lot of people and fans and the common folk view players as these, you know, egotistical rich people in reality. That's who the owners are. Players, they're workers. They're putting their bodies on the line. In week four that year, Eagles got demolished against the Bears 35-3. Week five found them traveling to Dallas to take on their biggest rival. This is rivalry week on SB Nation. So I'm talking about my favorite aspect of the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry. The Cowboys are divided when it comes to the strike. Dallas, like Texas as a whole, is not a union stronghold. They have no pressure from their city to keep it together. Dallas owner Tex Stram is a strike breaker. As superstars Randall Cunningham and Reggie White remained in solidarity with their striking brothers, Countless Cowboys players crossed the picket line and suited up for Dallas. Pro Bowl quarterback Danny White, in addition to Hall of Famers Tony Dorsett and Randy White, are among those who did so. Terrible, terrible people. Terrible. Disgrace. How can you like Dallas after that? Given the gigantic disparity in talent, as the Eagles were using guys who hung out in the Cuskers at 17th and Shunk, the Birds were embarrassed, losing 41-22. Legendary Cowboys coach Tom Landry being the smug you-know-what that he was, ran up the score in stark defiance of the strike. On the other side of the field, Eagles head coach Buddy Ryan privately supported the strike and his players. He was fuming. Landry embarrassed him, the Eagles, and in turn, Philadelphia. The Northeast doesn't forget. As more and more players crossed the picket line, the strike ended after week six without the NFL giving to any of the players' demands. It didn't work because of the cowardice of guys like Dorsett and White. The Eagles roster was back, though, and getting ready for their Week 7 opponent, the Cowboys, who they would now be playing at home at Veterans Stadium, the legendary, the iconic Veterans Stadium. Buddy wanted blood, as he should have. He took everything Dallas and Landry did and used it to fuel his players. The Burge, showcasing the power of acting as one, took an insurmountable lead over the Cowboys with a score of 30-20 to late in the game. After kneeling on two consecutive plays, the Eagles are faced with a 30-19 situation at the Cowboys' 35-yard line with just 10 seconds left on the clock. 
Anil ends the game. Buddy has a trick up his sleeve, though. When Randall Cunningham takes the snap under center, he fakes Anil down, catching the Cowboys players who suspected a lazy end to the game off guard and throwing a dart to Mike Quick in the end zone. Quick gets them all by a Dallas defensive back trying to prevent the sheer embarrassment from happening, but the Cowboys are flagged with pass interference. The Eagles are given the ball at the one-yard line. You know what happens next. Cunningham takes the snap, hands it off to running back Keith Byers, who leaps over the line of scrimmage and in for a touchdown. The Birds win 37-20. They ran up the score just as Landry did a few short weeks back. It was a humiliating, humiliating move on Buddy Ryan's part. And me? The blue-collar guy I like to believe I am. And I could not, I could not, I could not love it more. It's the ultimate revenge play on a franchise as repulsive in this town as the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, the Eagles didn't make the postseason that year, but it truly felt like the beginning of the Buddy Ryan era and the swagger, the absolute swagger, those squads would always carry themselves with. The next season, the Eagles went 11-5 and and made the playoffs. The next season, the Cowboys went 1-15. Mic drop. Mic drop. Mic drop. That's not it, though. I'm not done talking. You thought I was done talking about the Cowboys? I'm almost at the half-hour mark. You thought I was done talking about the Cowboys? I think back to the Eagles' last game in Kelly Green. January 7, 1996. The Eagles lost a playoff game to the eventual Super Bowl champion, Dallas Cowboys. That was the last game in last season the Eagles wore. Kelly Green. Did I say Midnight Green earlier? I meant Kelly Green. Last time they wore Kelly Green. That also happened to be the last time the Eagles, or I should say the last time the Cowboys ever won a Super Bowl. They never won a Super Bowl again as the Eagles in that 1996 season change their colors from the classic Kelly Green to the modernized Midnight Green. Obviously, that's a whole other debate. That's a whole other podcast. The Eagles won the Super Bowl in Midnight Green. They should keep that forever. It's what I grew up on. Kelly Green has a third alternate jersey. Go for it. The Eagles switched to Midnight Green in 96. They made the playoffs that year. And I think back to in November, I believe the game was, late in the game, Troy Aikman throws an interception to James Willis in Dallas, who's running the sideline. James Willis is a linebacker, but he's big boy. He's LeVon Kirkland-style linebacker. He laterals at the Troy Vincent, who scampers all the way to the end zone. For a touchdown, a game ceiling, pick six, handoff, pick six, whatever you want to call it. And it was at that moment that the power shifted away from Dallas and the NFC East. They were no longer the premier team in the NFC East. And as we talked about before, the Giants had that 97 to 2000 run. So we kind of went to New York at that point. But by the 21st century, who was the premier team in the NFC East? But the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, blocking the boys, the terrible, terrible, terrible. Cowboys blog here at the SB Nation Network did a tweet the other day that I came upon on the timeline and said, what is your Cowboys, what is your favorite Cowboys rivalry? Presumably talking to Cowboys fans. Uh, None of them are in Dallas. Obviously, they live all across the country. And I said, my favorite Cowboys rivalry is the Cowboys versus the 21st century. But since then, as I was discussing, you know, the Eagles have owned the Cowboys. I shouldn't say own, but the Eagles have been, been the premier team in the NFC East over the last two decades. In the Andy Reid era, they were 16 and 12, and that came with you know those four straight NFC Championship game appearances, division titles, the iconic 44 to 6 game in 2008 where they absolutely smashed and destroyed a win or go home game 
in Week 17 against the Cowboys. Brian Dawkins' last home green home game in midnight green for the Birds. Demolished them. Joselio Hansen, everyone. It was a it was a it was a game. It was a night. The Darty turned into a Nardy. Unbelievable day in Eagles history. I wish I was there. I didn't have season tickets yet. But a game, historically, I wish I could have gone to. Then we have in the 2017, that 37-10 game. Uh, Birds were losing 10-9 to at halftime. Sunday night football was getting a little stressed out. Boom. 28 unanswered points in the second half. That Nigel Bradham defensive touchdown. Eagles let it out. Went for two a bunch of times. I believe, what, early in the game. Uh, Kenyon Barner scored a touchdown, believe it or not. And then... Obviously, as I discussed kind of with 2017, the rivalry has gone up a notch even more since the 2016 draft where the Eagle, where the two teams landed their respective franchise quarterbacks, the Eagles and Carson Wentz and the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Unfortunately, to my dismay, to a point that hurts me in my heart and my body, makes me physically sick right now to say. In the Doug Peterson era, the Cowboys have a better record than the Eagles head-to-head. Eagles are 3-5 and five against the Cowboys since 2016. But if the 2020 NFL season goes on as planned, I expect the Eagles to land leave this season at 500, or maybe even better. If they both teams make the playoffs, we're going three and zero. We're going three and zero against Dallas this year. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to predict that right now. The Eagles and Cowboys are going to both make the playoffs. The Eagles are going to win the division. They're going to have the number one seed in the NFC. They're going to sweep Dallas in the regular season, and in the second round, the divisional round, the first Eagles playoff game of the 2020 season, they're going to get Dallas at home, and they are going to smack the crap out of them. You know what? They win three games. Guess what? They're six and five against the Cowboys in the Doug Peterson era. It's going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I need this NFL season to go on. I don't care if I can't even be there in the stands. Again, it would be terrible if there's an Eagles home game at the link and I couldn't be there physically. But at the same time, I, I know it's best for the world. I know health becomes first. It's bigger than sports. But if football does go on, if we can have some semblance of a season, that will be enough of me. As long as we get those two Cowboys games and that Eagles defeat of the Cowboys, in the playoffs, that'll be 2020 will still be pretty terrible. One of the worst years of all time, but a little silver lining for you. Part of my silver lining's playbook, as I guess you could say. That's it for me, Seamus Clancy, on the great, the great Bleeding Green Nation Radio Podcast Network. This is the best Eagles podcast network out there, unquestionably. So many diverse voices out there. We have Babes on Broad. We have the fantastic film breakdown, X's and O's and scheming of Michael Kest and Metro and Solak. We have the historical data and the analysis of the NFL around the league from John Stolness. And we have the great beat writers on the beat uh, doing pods for us with the premier BGM podcast and the hilarious Jimmy Kemsky and the always informative Brandon Lee Gallon, our overlord at BGM. That's it for me. Seamus Clancy sitting here, you know, about to hit for the July weekend. I'm off this Friday and Monday. Just bought a Nintendo Switch. So they're really getting that. I'm playing Zelda. I'm playing Crash Team Racing playing a Marvel game. You know, I just want to hang out and have some fun. Uh, you know, been buying a lot of Eagles crap on eBay. I've talked about that before. I love doing that. Did that interview with uh, Casey from Rare Vintage, the, you know, thrift vintage sporting wear store. You can look at that podcast. Just search my Twitter feed, look on it, you know, do, you know, search Seamus for, you know, podcast on there, uh, on my Twitter account. You'll be able to find it. Doing a lot of great pods recently. You know, going to ramp it up in the future. For all those guys, and gals, and however you identify yourself out there. Uh, I have been doing those Eagles, uh, you know, Friday night through flashback watch parties. 
I haven't done them from the last several weeks, given the civil unrest in this country. Kind of thought it was inappropriate to be highlighting and promoting this big, fun Eagles watch party when really there are more grave things going on in the world. Things are you know, pretty serious out there. Black Lives Matter. I support that entire movement. So I do want to say fans of that little feature, that little, those little things I put on on Friday nights, you know, people vote on the throwback game. That will uh, come back after this uh, 4th of July weekend. So next Friday, that would be uh, July 10th. There will be a watch party that, that Friday. We'll do a little poll uh, early next week for people to vote on which game they want to, um, you know, vote on to watch that night. If you're listening to this, just tweet tweet at me if you have an idea of, you know, a game you want me to feature in there. I'll look up and see if I can find a stream of it online. But yeah, follow me on Twitter at Shameless underscore Clancy. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to both uh, the BGN Radio Podcast Network on Apple, on Spotify, whatever network or podcast network you use. If you're listening to this, how do you already not do that? As well as my Patreon newsletter, please, please. I'm trying to increase my freelance uh, work. Uh, any little bit helps. Just $2 per month. Get, you know, literally 20 newsletters, almost, you know, 20,000 words nearly a month for $2. That's that's great value. That's unbelievable value. I'm probably selling myself short, to be honest. But that's it. This has been Rivalry Week with the From the Bleachers podcast. As always, Seamus Clancy. And I leave you guys with a big time. Go Birds. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.